Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Wow. Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. And Kelly leading us. Oh, my goodness. That was absolutely amazing. Oh, Lord Jesus. That was amazing. And we really hope you were pleased with that. Because it was all for you. And you're worthy of it all and so much more. You're worthy of our entire lives. You're worthy of our entire devotion for all of eternity and our service, our service to you for all of eternity. You're worthy of it. If we spent eternity serving you, loving you, worshiping you, we still wouldn't get to the end of your worthiness of all of that. And we give you all the glory. And Lord, whatever it was that you saw in us before time ever began, that you were pleased to save us for. And to bring us to yourself. Lord, whatever that that is, it's our joyful pleasure to give it all to you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask you that as I preach this morning, Holy Spirit, fill me with the word of God. That it be your words speaking right to all of our hearts, mine included. And we give you all the glory, Jesus. We ask you that as a result of these next few minutes... Your beautiful face that's invisible would become more real to us than anything else. And that you would be the treasure that our hearts yearn for for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Ah, Kate and I are freshly back from Peru, where we had an amazing time and the church that invited us have have uh, let us know they want to join Catch the Fire, so that's exciting. We have churches in multiple nations all over the world that are all part of this global family. Aren't you just so glad that we're not it? (laughs) Just brings so much wonderful accountability to us all, to Kate and I, to all of our team, to all of us. And, uh, wow, it's just great to be part of something that's bigger than, than us, this church. And also even Catch the Fire 200 churches or so, I don't know how many there are now, uh, but even then, we're part of something way bigger and more, much more infinitely glorious that's the body of Christ, the church family all over the world, all of the, the uh, churches that believe in Jesus. Well, my pleasure this morning is to continue our series in the Beatitudes, so I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, please. We're going to get straight into the message. And uh, the, the title of my message is The Treasure of a Pure Heart. The Treasure of a Pure Heart. And uh, of course, the number one treasure with the only pure heart is Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, but we're going to see how he has invited us in him to be the ones that have the treasure of a pure heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Or for they shall see God. Wow. I don't know about you, but I want that in the worst way. I do. I want to see God. 
the, the glimpses that we get of him in his word, when you think of Ezekiel 1, and you see Ezekiel has a vision of the likeness of the glory of God. It's not even God. It's the likeness of the glory of God. It's, he's, such, he's so transcendent and beyond what a human can experience. It required him to become a human for us. And, you know, Ezekiel sees way above the four living creatures and way above the expanse of sapphire. And way above that, there's a throne. And then way, way above the throne, not even seated on his throne, way above the throne is one who looked like a fiery figure, a man of fire. From his waist downwards, fire. From his waist upwards, like the only way to describe it is electrum, like liquid molten metal, but not that. And he's just way up there. No, it doesn't even need to sit. Just <laughs> blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And the context of this is that he's speaking at a, on a mountain to multitudes. And all of those multitudes, every single one of them were not that. Every single one of them were human beings without a pure heart. Every one of them, except the one who was speaking, had filthy, dirty, messed up hearts. And the one who's speaking says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He could have said, and by the way, I see him every second of every day. And he's beautiful. And he's worth it all. He's the most excellent in all of his ways. And if he was like me, he'd say, and it sure sucks to be you guys because you can't see him. No, <laughs> thankfully, he's not at all like me. Wow. And so today... I want to show you the beauty of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the one who said here, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, is saying it not as an accusation that all of them were messed up and that none of them were pure in heart and none of them could see God. All of them were completely blind to God. None of them could see the invisible God. He's not saying it as an accusation. He's saying it as a glorious invitation. He's saying, I'm here, the pure in heart, so that you can be pure in heart. I'm here, the one who sees God face to face constantly and has for all of eternity. I've come in the flesh. I'm manifest in the flesh. I'm the incarnate God. And I've come so that you can see God. And the only way for you to see God is for me to save you. For me to die on the cross to pay for the price of your sin. Because you can't do it. You're too screwed up, too messed up. You cannot do it for yourself. I've given you the law. They are God's precious treasured people, the Israelites. He's speaking to the Israelites on this mountain. And he's saying, you are the treasured possession of God. You are God's priesthood, his royal priesthood. But all of you, though you've been given the law to show you that you need a savior, none of you are pure in heart. I've come to fulfill the law 
so that you can have my righteousness, you can have my holiness, you can have my perfection, and you can be pure as I'm pure. I am your pure in heart. It's me. Hello, everybody, he's saying. I've arrived. That's why he's saying it. He's not giving us the standard of a better life that you could live yourself if only you were good enough. He's coming to say, your life was so screwed up, it's done now. I've arrived so that you can have my life. See, you were born in Adam, and this applies to every one of us. Every one of us were born in Adam. You know what that means? It means that our life sucked from the beginning. It means that before you were even born, you'd already sinned. Before you, had or, before you could even think, you were already screwed up. I can remember when Jess, our lead pastor, was born. And I can remember holding her. She came out of a mother's womb. I watched it. It was terrifying. And I, I held her little head in my hands while they went and cleaned Kate up. And I'm, I'm just looking at this little girl with golden locks. And I, I'm like looking at her going, how could I possibly be somehow in you? You're way too beautiful. And I'm looking at her and she's just gazing at me. And I'm like, I'm not sure if I believe in original sin anymore. You're perfect. You're definitely not at all like me or Adam or Eve. You're perfect. Wow. Three nights later, I'm like, you really, really take after your mother. You. Really throw her out of the window. But I'm not going to deny that I didn't have a little tempting thought every now and then when I had no sleep for days and days and days. And I realized she was born in original sin. (laughs) Your parents experienced the same thing with each of you. We were all born in original sin. Okay, I brought some little humans here to illustrate what I'm talking about. Man. Okay. I asked Lee, one of my dear friends, if he would go out and kind of, Lee looks after this place and keeps it amazing. I asked Lee if he would mind, thank you Lee, would you mind getting me a bottle of water, go outside and fill it with mud? Good old North Carolinian mud. And would you please, if you don't mind, just really pump it full. And who knows, maybe there's a little excrement in there as well we we don't know but there could be this is you in adam this is how you were born god couldn't even drink you in that condition you were hopeless Dirty. And every inclination of your heart and my heart was evil all the time. There's only one thing. And that is to take all that poop on the inside and all that dirt and everything else and assign it to an eternity of hell. And the problem is that because it's all in you, that means you have to go into eternal hell. 
And let's face it, everybody, we can get all miserable and upset that God would assign human beings to hell, but he hasn't. He's assigned sin and death to hell. But if we insist on our union with sin, then our sin's eternal destiny becomes ours. And let's face it, I can't imagine anything more terrible than God letting me into heaven with all of my poop with me, so that now all of my poop becomes an eternal reality. And I go down in all of heaven's history, in all of the newspapers in heaven, as the dude that God somehow let in, and I've now turned all of heaven into hell. Because my poop spread like a virus. Aren't you just so glad that God's not going to let your sin into heaven? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm even more glad that God's not going to let my wife sin. I mean, no, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Isn't it fascinating how laser x-ray eyes we can see so clearly the sins in other people? Have you noticed that? Meanwhile, when it comes to seeing our own sin, we just have this sudden blindness that comes over us. You know, this last week, Friday actually, I had a very unpleasant experience. I had a colonoscopy because I'm 55 and the doctor insisted that I have it. I wasn't going to listen to the doctor, but then Kate insisted that I listen to the doctor. And that meant, you know, a happy wife, a happy life. So I'm going along to have my colonoscopy. I'm not going to go into the sordid details of the colonoscopy. The disappointing thing was, despite all of my efforts and fasting and everything else and getting it all right, when they put me to sleep with sedation, not anesthesia, with sedation, of which I cannot remember a single thing. So bad is it what I can't remember. I can't remember getting dressed, which is a terrifying thought because now I'm wondering who dressed me. And it wasn't Kate because she was on the other side of the doors. I can't remember meeting Kate. I can't remember the discussion that Kate had with the doctor about me and my behavior while I was sedated. Of which the doctor announced the very, very sad and troubling news. I'm afraid to say that your husband is going to have to come back again for a colonoscopy under general anesthetic. Because while he was sedated, he was fighting us the whole time. And we weren't able to get the camera where it needed to go. Which made me laugh because I... It made my wife laugh because she thought to herself, yep, that's my irrepressible husband. (laughs) Even worse, well, not even worse. Along with that, I found out yesterday when I had a look on a permit that my wife and I were, were applying for and we'd got to the stage where on Friday they had sent an email to me without me encompassmentously knowing that it had been approved, I just needed to pay the fees. The terrifying thing on Saturday was that sitting in the car when I first sat in the car, somehow or other, without any memory or knowledge of what happened, except to say that Kate said to me afterwards, she said, honey, I did try to tell you, stop doing important things while you're like this. (laughs) I paid the fees with no recollection, even using my credit card, 
I had to check the bill to make sure I hadn't done anything else with my credit card. And secondly, I wrote an email to the, authority, the, the, the permit authority lady. I wrote her a whole email. Man, that was troubling. I have no recollection of writing that. And I had to write to her yesterday explaining I was sedated and I'm ever so sorry, but I hope I didn't say anything wrong. Please forgive me. Can we start again? Why am I telling you all of this? Apart from having a little bit of fun, lightheartedness, I'm telling you that that's how you and I are regarding how we sin other pe- against other people. We have this amazing capacity to discern when other people are sinning against us. Oh my gosh, we are tender and we are delicate and we can get very fussed up really quick. In fact, we can get triggered real fast. Meanwhile, when somebody shows us that we've hurt them, maybe our wife, maybe our children, maybe our parents, maybe our grandparents, maybe our colleague at work, maybe our pastor, maybe fellow members of the church family, whoever it might be, when we come face to face with someone sharing how we've hurt them, now all of a sudden we become extraordinarily robust. Are you kidding me? I did not mean that. I did not do that. It wasn't me. It was them. It was because of this. It was because... And we get into that blame shifting, you know. We get into that minimalization. We're so into maximalization when we're talking about how people have hurt us. But when we come to how we've hurt others, we're like, minimal. Whoa! Maybe you're just not like me. But I just got this feeling you might be. Folks... This right here is our state before we got saved. Jesus said in John 15 verse 3, he said, You are clean, the same word in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart. That same Greek word, blessed are the pure in heart. You are now pure because of the word that I gave you. What is that word? That there's salvation in my name through faith. By grace. It's the gospel. It's that you're a new creation. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anybody's in Christ, they are now therefore a new creation. Aren't you so glad that God had no, that God knew that he had no plan whatsoever to take this you And improve you. Aren't you so glad that he sent his son into this world. To become you at the cross. To take all that poop upon himself. And put you to death with him. And because you just simply believe in him now. You receive his word. You are now raised with him. Except not this poopy you. Oh no. That's gone to hell forever. No. Not you. But all that poop. And now this is the new you in Christ Jesus, pure with his purity. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians six seventeen, it says that you, whoever has, um, it says that, uh, has become one spirit with him. Okay, help me out, Holy Spirit. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to read it. It's just gone out of me. That's a verse that I quote all the time. I'm just going to put it down to the effect of sedation still. I've got that excuse now forever. <laughs> uh, ya, 
yeah, yeah. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. How could I, how could I forget? He who is, and that word joined is actually kaleoed. It's in union with him. He, the one who's in union with Christ Jesus is now one spirit with him. You are fully pure as he is pure. You are perfect in his perfection. You are righteous in his righteousness. You're holy in his holiness. You are glorious in his glory. You and Christ are one and Christ and you are in the Father forever by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And not only that, but your spirit is now fully alive, perfectly pure and filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only that, but Christ is seated in the heavenly realms and you are seated with him in the heavenly realms. So much so that your mission is no longer trying to get to heaven by kind of getting less poopy. Maybe by reading the Bible or prayer or, you know, fasting or whatever it might be that religion tells you you have to do. I'm not talking about pure religion, but I'm talking about worldly religion trying to improve you, make you a better life. No, that's all gone. Completely gone forever. You're now seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And your mission is not trying to get up there. Your mission is from there, bringing heaven onto the earth. Helping all of these people that are around you in all of their poopiness to realize, stop trying to clean your life up. Jesus has already done it for you. Woo, come on now. Now this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, that's good news, exactly. Thank you very much. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians and chapter 6. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, keep your finger there. I'm just going to read something to you so that you see where we're going here, okay? I'm just going to read you. You don't even need to put this up. 1 John 3. Listen to this. Just let this minister to you while we now go to this. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, us, that we should be called the children. Let's put this down because that's gone. Us in Christ. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. The world is like, whoa, why aren't you poopy like me? What's happened to you? Who's that? I don't even recognize you. That's why when you get saved, your family, your friends are all like, whoa, dude, you're going weird. That's what all my friends did with me. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we're children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is being written by John, who spent three and a half years with Jesus as one of his disciples. And even though he witnessed Jesus being resurrected from the dead, he witnessed Jesus being ascended into the heavens. He did not know what Jesus looked like on the other side of that cloud that hid him from their view. 
He knew that he'd been glorified because the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. And the Spirit couldn't be poured out until Jesus was glorified. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is the testimony that Jesus has been glorified. But Jesus couldn't be glorified unless he'd taken you with him. Many sons led to glory, Hebrews 2.10. So the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost is the testimony that Jesus is glorified in heaven, which is the testimony that you're glorified in him, with him in heaven. We don't know what he looks like, he's saying, but we know that when he comes back, we'll be just like him. And then, of course, in Revelation chapter 1, in the kindness of God, God gives this same apostle a few years later a glorious vision of Jesus, not just resurrected, but glorified. And in giving him that vision, he also gives him a vision of what you and I, all of us, are going to look like a split second after we die. And we come into our new bodies and our eyes are going to shine like the sun, like, like fire. And our face is going to shine like the sun. And we're going to be dressed in white. We're going to have a golden sash. We're going to have shoes and feet of brass. Shekaraba. We're going to have a sword coming out of our mouths, the eternal word of God. We're going to be able to juggle seven stars in our hands. Not because We've somehow become special outside of God, but because God himself, who is special, has rescued us eternally and made us like him forever, which is what he always planned for us to not just be born in Adam, but to die with Adam in Christ Jesus and be born again, a brand new person who is Jesus person in Jesus, no longer in Adam, but in Christ. Woo. Amazing. And then he says, this is so good, you guys. If you focus on that future, you'll keep yourself pure. And here's the reason why. Purity is essential for all relationships. Because for, relation, for love to be loved, there's got to be trust. And for trust to grow, it requires perfection. In case you hadn't noticed. And, the re and here's the deal. Listen, forgiveness is completely different to trust. In fact, they're opposites. They're exact opposites. Forgiveness is what God gives us as a gift because we don't deserve it. And he makes it conditional on us receiving forgiveness that we forgive those who've hurt us. It's not an option. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. And by the way, it's a free gift to those who don't deserve it. The opposite of trust. Meanwhile, trust on the other hand, way over here, completely different. God never asks you or requires you to trust anyone except him who's perfect. And the reason why he asks you to trust him is because he's trust worthy. He is worthy of your trust because he's perfect in all of his ways. Last time... I checked, every human being I've met hasn't quite met that standard yet. <laughs> and because of that, God doesn't require us to trust human beings in absoluteness in the way that he requires us to trust him. In fact, he's made it such that actually human beings are required to earn our trust, and rightly so. The good news is that even though all of us are absolutely untrustworthy in and of ourselves in Adam... Even in Adam, there's a capacity of some good, not enough for eternity, but some capacity of good for some trustworthiness. But when we're born again, we now have the capacity 
to allow other people around us to begin to actually trust us because they see Christ in us. Now, I want to talk about something really briefly that's so important that we all need to understand. The ultimate relationship on earth of intimacy is a husband and wife called marriage. It is a glimpse of our eternal relationship with Jesus when we're going to be married to him forever. It requires a high degree of trust. Okay, here's the thing. The reason why God has written it in his word that you, that we only have sex within marriage, that there, that it is illegal according to the law of God to have sex outside of marriage. I'm not going to unpack that. I want you to take that at face value. Read the Bible. You'll soon see I'm right. The reason is this. Sex outside of marriage before marriage between two people is fornication. Sex between those two people on the other side of, sorry, sex with someone else on the other side of the marriage of those two individuals, if either of them have sex with somebody else outside of their marriage, it's called adultery. Fornication before you get married, adultery after you get married. Okay. The reason God has designed it that way is because he wants to give us an opportunity because he's so good to get married with a maximum level of trust between the two of us. So Kate and I, when we first met each other, and I'm like, I know I'm going to marry you. And we just fell in love with each other. And oh my goodness, there's something about the way God made me and God made my wife that we wanted to get our hands all over each other. It's just the way it is. And if it isn't like that, please don't get married. Right? God will never force you to marry somebody that you don't think is absolutely amazing. And punish you by doing that. He's not like that. He's good. So when Kate and I met each other, I'm like... And, but here's the deal. God says no sex until you're married. Why? Because he wants us to walk a journey... And by the way, don't make it too short and don't make it too long, that journey, okay? But he wants you to walk that journey with this person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And every time you say no to sex, you're investing into the bank account of their trust. A huge amount of trust, very fast. And it doesn't take long before when the day that you get married, you get married as trillionaires in the currency of trust. And the currency of trust is more valuable than the US dollar. And when you get married with a huge bank account of trust on your wedding day, because you were able to say no to each other and follow God's best. Now, because of that level of trust, now you're on the other side of marriage, you trust each other. Oh my gosh, you're not spending your time thinking, oh man, is she cheating on me? I don't know if she's cheating. I think she's cheating on me. There's none of those thoughts. Why? Because you have a very, very healthy trust bank account. You are pure. On the other hand, of course, if it doesn't work out that way, and there's, I'm not condemning anybody in this room, I'm just sharing the truth here. If you break that and have sex before marriage 
with that individual, you marry bankrupt in trust. And on the other side, it's not that God's a killjoy. No, it's precisely because God loves joy. And he wants to give you maximum joy in your relationship called marriage. And so he wants you to marry anything but bankrupt. He wants you to marry very wealthy in the currency of trust. And so the sad thing is, is if you marry bankrupt, now you go through and that bankruptcy of trust means you behave in such a way that everyone behaves when this is how we think of ourselves. And by the way, the person that we've sinned against the most is ourselves. And the person that we've heaped the most poop up on is ourselves. And the problem with our sin is that we're conscious of our sin. And the more we sin, the more conscious we become of our sin. And the more we live our lives according to that sin. And the way we live our lives according to the consciousness of that sin is called shame. And that shame causes us to hide. And that and because of fear. And then that leaves us, that leads us to become a control freak trying to cover up all of our poop. <laughs> Meanwhile, we're leaking poop everywhere. It's just a, it's just a really nasty doo-doo. <laughs> so, I thank God that we're now born again. I thank God that He's given us the opportunity to be brand new. And we are brand new in Christ Jesus. And this is how we are. And Kate and I married like that. The problem was, this, the enemy loves to resurrect this guy or girl in our minds. He can't actually resurrect it, but he can resurrect it in our minds. And what that does is, When we start to self-doubt and we start to take our eyes off of Jesus and who we are in Christ and become earthly minded again, we easily look around us and we're like, oh, look, wow. Please, Lord, don't let me spill this all over my Bible. We just spend a little money on our credit card without our wife knowing. That was easy. Yeah, felt pretty painless, honestly. It's great because now I've got that, that little possession I really wanted and she doesn't know. Kind of sucks that I'm not going to be able to use it in front of her, but at least I've got it. The problem is you don't get to choose who experiences that poop with you. And everywhere you go, instead of being that lovely, clear drink that you were, that everybody could enjoy in Christ Jesus, now you just got a shade of, what should we say, slightly yellow? I don't know. Some kind of shade of something. Something, something. Slightly rusty. Thank you. And um, let's see who can... Who could I choose here? <laughs> Who can I choose right here? Rodney and Lorene. Lorene, this is your husband, Rodney. Okay? Would you like to enjoy him? Take a drink. You sure? Oh. No, but I mean, it, it's not that bad. Look, I mean, look, it's, it's almost crystal clear. 
Yeah, really? Oh my gosh. Rodney, what about you? Have a, have a little drink of Lorene here. No, you'll pass? Are you, are you sure? It's only little. I mean, gosh, it's not that bad, everybody. You know what? That's where most Christians live. It's called righteous light. L-I-T-E. Kind of like Coke light. Coke zero. Except it's not zero. It's got the same aspartame that it's always had in Diet Coke. But now we know it's Coke Zero. Hey, that's good. Let's drink that instead of Diet Coke. I don't know. Forgive me if that's not even true. But I'm just saying, there ain't no Christian righteous holy light life. L-I-T-E. It's nasty. It's just poopy. 1% poop is poop. I can't drink that. And you know what? When we live our lives like this, our kids have to drink that. Our God has to drink that. Our friends have to drink that. Our spouses have to drink that. Everyone around us has to drink that. And guess what? They know. They know. That's why it feels like they're a little bit like, uh, have you noticed that? I mean... These days, with iPhones and smartphones, pornography available left, right, and center. What's wrong with pornography? Well, what's wrong with pornography is that it's a whole lot more than 1% poop. It's extremely toxic and defiling. The whole industry is defiled. And you're partnering with the demonic realm. Yes, you're perfect in the heavens in Christ Jesus. But here on earth, we're actually, we're not enjoying that perfect you. We're seeing the defiled you. And here's the deal. There is no sin that God can't see. And one way or another, that sin will be exposed. You you cannot live your life thinking it's going to be okay. It's not because sin is a killer. It's lethal. It kills marriages. It kills relationship. It absolutely burns through trust in split seconds. I know of somebody who just last week, their church had to announce that the pastor is in an adulterous affair with a, with a person, a girl that's half their age. And they're in their 60s. And before you judge them, just remember what I remembered when I first heard that. And I just wanted to weep. I just just broke my heart. And I realized that I'm just as capable. In fact, I've sinned like that myself. Maybe not in the outside, but Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, if you look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery. You've already committed fornication. Who am I to point the finger? I just fell in, I fell in inverted commas into the arms of the Lord and wept for my friend. But the level of broken relationship now, broken trust, broken, shattered 
The church shattered. And guys, let's not get light on our own sin here. Let's not suddenly think to ourselves, oh, that's terrible for them. How awful for them. You're doing it every day. You and I are doing it every day. Maybe not filling ourselves back up to this level. Okay? But, okay. Just allowing enough of our old ways. To start ruining our walk with God, our walk with each other, our marriages, our friendships, our relationships at work. Hey, it's only a little bit. Come on. It's not too bad. It's not like I'm that dude who committed adultery. That little white lie, you tell mama so that she doesn't get mad with you. Poop. Remember when George Washington cut down the cherry tree? Poop. See, every sin in our lives that we indulge in is poop. And now that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus, that new creation can be defiled. Turn with me, please, to second, or you've, I already asked you to. Let's look at this. Chapter 6, verse 16, Second Corinthians. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Remember Psalm 24, I think around verse 3. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Only those who have clean hands and a pure heart who have not lifted up their eyes to an idol. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul is quoting Isaiah and Hosea right here. And then he says, verse 1, Therefore, of chapter 7, Therefore, Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Can I have another water bottle from under there? Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Here's the deal, everybody. This is the amazing thing. The moment, the moment we now that, we, now that we're born again, remember, we're not this any longer. This is dead. However, according to what I've just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, Paul's including himself, the great apostle, who just wrote 517, If anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But he's saying, don't be telling me now that that you in the heavens that's perfect, we get to enjoy here on earth all the time. There's a process of continual cleansing. He's saying right here, 
from all filthiness or, or impurities or all defilement of the flesh and spirit. I'm reading the word of God, everybody. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That word perfecting, tileo in Greek, is bringing to completeness or bringing into complete maturity. Bringing to perfection. What Christ started in you, that is the you that's in the heavens, is being brought by your cooperation, by your willingness to humble yourself when you sin, when you're defiled, when you've allowed defilement in you. When you come back to the Lord instantly, He forgives you. If, you're, if you confess your sin, if we confess our sin, 1 John 1 9, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instantaneously, this is the supernatural part that you that's defiled is instantaneously restored to that pure you that's in Christ Jesus. That's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that comes through the blood of Jesus, through your confession of sin. It does not come to you when you justify your sin. It does not come when we blame shift. It does not come when we walk in pride and say, I didn't do that. It doesn't come when we continually try to cover that sin up. See, the thing about defilement, when we've done a little of it, is that it instantly starts to accuse us. The enemy starts to accuse us. You know what it feels like. Kelly leading the meeting. She says, is anybody in pain? People put their hands up and then she says, okay, everybody go pray for them. And you're just about to get up to go pray for them. And as you get up like that, a little voice on the inside of you says, you don't mean to tell me you're going to take those dirty hands that you've been masturbating with and looking at pornography last night and go and lay those hands on my beloved daughter over there or my beloved son over there. And you're like, oh, I just drink my coffee. Thank you very much. It's not that you're no good at prayer. It's that your heart condemns you. And not just your heart, but Satan himself. The demonic realm is very, very good at accusing us when we walk in defilement. And what God's looking for is for us to not live in defilement, but to live in purity so that he can produce his fruit through us. So that he can do his good works through us. So that we can live face to face. Mouth to mouth. Remember when I preached on that? Face to face with him. Because that defilement is enough to make us start hiding. And we pull away from him. And we live, even though we're in union with him, we live like we're separated from him. In our minds and in our hearts. And when he draws us for face to face, we won't come. We won't come. Betsy gave me permission to say, look, you can all stand now. Betsy, one of our prayer team, one of our amazing ministers, her and Mike Falvey are just amazing. She gave me permission to say this, to give hope to you. She said, you know, our marriage started seven years of pornography and disaster. And the Lord brought us place of confession, repentance, prayer ministry. You know, it's not always a moment that you get free from defilement. 
Yes, you can be in the moment you're free from defilement. But those ways that you've become well practiced in may require a little bit more prayer ministry, a little bit more humility. What we call counseling, inner healing, healing of life's hurts to bring you out of patterns and bring you into new patterns. You see, here's the deal, everybody. Life is like a road in Christ Jesus. The middle of the road, the whole road is Christ. The middle of the road is walking in his purity, safe. The problem is, sin is so alluring that we kind of wander over to the edge of the road. I think I'm okay. Yep, yep, I'm fine. Look at this. I made it so far. Yep, I think I could just keep going like this. There's no chance I'm going to fall off. Oops. I just fell off. What happened? All the wheels fell off. My whole life was ruined. You know what the most devastating financial thing in the world is? Adultery. Take all your treasure. Steal it all. That's what Satan does. I was just in Peru. I came out of the meeting one evening, the, 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 one of the evenings, I, I forget which evening, or Friday night. No, Sunday night. Sunday night, the last evening. I came out of the meeting. I took the wrong turn. And I found myself walking outside when I meant to go to the bathrooms. As I came outside like this, a beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous girl, less than half my age, more than half my age, but looking at me with the most doughy eyes, Model drop dead gorgeous with her friends, two of them. She says, hi. I said, hello. I went straight to the bathroom. I finish, I go into the pastor's speaker's lounge in his office. We have a nice time. 15 minutes later, there's a common area with all of the staff. I come out. To my astonishment, there's this girl. She's the first person to come up to me she says, Pastor, would you pray for me? I said, no, I won't, but Sammy will. And I walked on. You know why? Because the middle of the road is the safest place. Not messing around. Thinking about whether you might fall off. Stick to the middle. All right, let's, let's pray. Close your eyes. I've done my absolute best this morning, this afternoon to preach a delicate message that doesn't bring you condemnation, but helps you to know that in Christ Jesus, there is freedom and you are free, hallelujah. And you can live in Jesus's purity. And if you've been involved in masturbation, pornography, adultery, if you've been involved in theft, if you've been, uh, when, did I just say theft? Yes, when you don't pay your taxes, that's theft. When you try to pretend that you don't owe money, to North Carolina Department of Revenue because it's bad enough, the IRS, but you just kind of fudge it a little with the NCDOR. Yes, I'm talking about that. It's poop. It can kill you. And I realize you're probably not used to me preaching like this, I'm, but I'm doing it because of daddy's love for you.
Oh, did I mention theft? When you're still driving on your out-of-state plates, even though you've been longer than the requirement in North Carolina to go switch your plates out. Sorry, did I just say that? Yes, that's true. And, and, and I'm saying those kinds of things because all of it is poop. There is no righteous light, L-I-T-E. There's no diet righteous. There's no diet holy. There's just Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' holiness. And when you walk in agreement with that, when you walk in the purity of that, you walk in his purity. And everyone around you enjoys a good long drink of Jesus through you. Oh, come on. And the good news is we can all be restored right now because some of you are feeling super bad. Well, good. I'm glad you are. But the good news is you don't have to walk out still feeling like that. So let's close our eyes. And let's lift up the hands that the Lord's going to clean right now. Father, I thank you with all of my heart that you've given us the beautiful gift of your son, Jesus. We would have been poopy forever. In fact, we were one with our poop. But I thank you that you made a way to rescue us. I thank you that no matter how we started, just like the Falvies started with seven years of disaster in their marriage, and now they've had 30 years since that day, that after seven, 23 years ago, when through a moment like this of confession, repentance, true repentance, not just fudging repentance, not remorse that we got caught, but a true desire for the changed life you've given us. For a true desire for the exchanged life that's Jesus, that's our true life. And we come to you now. We're so sorry for all of our sin, Lord. I'm sorry for all my lies. I'm sorry for all my exaggerations. I'm sorry for all my anger, my controlling ways. I'm sorry for exerting my will over the will of others in an unkind and ungodly way. Sorry for lying. I'm sorry for cheating. I'm sorry for every sexually immoral thought or action I've ever done, Lord. I ask your forgiveness for prizing the world more than I prize Jesus. I didn't have the chance to say to you all, just keep your eyes closed. I didn't have the chance to say to you all that in Hebrews 11, 25, 26, 27, it says that by faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, chose to be fully identified with the people of God. Chose the reproach that that brought him. Chose the reproach of Christ to be esteemed above all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. That's the key. For by faith, he was looking at the invisible God. Folks, just because you can't see God doesn't mean he's not your greatest treasure. Just right now, as you confess your sin and ask his forgiveness for all the ways you've treasured the world and the ways of sin, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, bring the majestic face of Jesus. 
There's eyes of burning love. Even though he's invisible, Lord, we look to him. Let him look us face to face. We're not going to run away anymore. We're not going to hide. We're going to live moment by moment in the affectionate gaze of Jesus. We're going to be a church family that's not light on sin. We're going to be a church family that with your help, Holy Spirit, we embrace purity with a passion so that you can reach our cities, reach our families, reach our world with your glorious, beautiful, radiant light and purity. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.